0: So, so good morning and a very warm welcome to our discussion today on uh, trade. Um, We are delighted to uh, host and welcome today, Cecilia Malmström, um, our Commissioner for Trade, um, who has been uh, leading uh, a lot of difficult discussions in the last five years and so we want to uh, discuss a bit the past, uh, but of course focus on the present and focus on the future in particular uh, because there's a lot, uh, a lot one can say nowadays about, about European um, and global trade policy. We are stuck, of course, in, uh, in a very, very complicated uh, trade war between China and the United States. We ourselves um, have some issues with the United States and we have some issues with China. And let me uh, use that occasion also to advertise um, a paper that uh, our senior fellow, who will lead the conversation, Andrés Sapir, Um, Is putting out today a paper on how uh, the WTO could and should be reformed uh, to better accommodate um, China um, in uh, in the global uh, in the global trading system So lots to talk about Um, uh, This goes from uh, the trade conflict, but it goes even to issues like uh, climate policy We just had a little bit of a chat on, on climate policy. I mean if we if the next Commission was to uh, be much more serious, uh, imposing uh, carbon uh, tariffs, uh, a, a carbon tax on, uh, on, uh, on consumption um, and production in in Europe. Well, there is immediately an issue of carbon border adjustment, and so how can that be made compatible uh, with the global trading norms is also a big issue. I think that the next Commission will have to confront. Uh, so, without much further ado, let me give the floor to uh, uh, andre and and Cecilia um, for and thank you so much for joining us and I'm sure I'll jump in at some stage as well thank you, thank you.
1: so thank you uh, commissioner for for being here for taking the time. Uh, let me start not with China and uh, the United States we have plenty of time to uh, to come to that. Uh, let me start with the uh, the trading system. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have been, uh, throughout your term, an impassioned voice uh, for the global trading system, for a, a rules-based uh, system, for a rules-based liberal uh, trading, uh, trading system. Um, how do you see the, the system right now uh, with all the events that have taken place? At this, at this very juncture, uh, what is your assessment? About the the system, is it going to survive this year? Do you think uh, it's under stress? Clearly, um, what is what is your judgement?
2: Well, uh, first of all, good good morning, everybody. Thanks for, for inviting me. It's very nice to be here. Um, well, ooh, now it works. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just continue. I think okay. they need
0: yeah. to Don't it. want
2: to break your ears. Uh, of course, the the multilateral system is under enormous threat. Probably the biggest threat um, so far since, since its creation. And uh, the United States and Europe, some other countries created this system after the World War, the uh, Second World War. It was part of this new global liberal order, if you want to call it a global order, institution-based, multilateralism, international organisations trying to um, uh, to, to to make, make sure that that was part of the new new world we wanted to build after the, these devastating worlds. And today, of course, it is, uh, it is un, under threat in many ways. And it didn't happen yesterday, of course, this has been evolving, because WTO, with all its, I mean, it, it's a fantastic organization with 164 countries member, but it is difficult to make decisions of course. So that has has paralysed the system for for quite some time um, and um, has has created a lot of of inertia and, and frustration. Uh, of course, and now with um, with increased unilateral action, with increased protectionism, with the increased actions outside the, the system, it is really uh, trembling, I would say, on many levels. First of all, we have the, the general decision making system. It's been difficult to move from the Doha, the old Doha process, where we we um, gave a lot of hope to the developing world, and we haven't really delivered on that. And it's not really one person, one country's fault. It is complicated, these issues. So this, of course, needs to break that deadlock on on development. How do you define yourself as a developing country? Today, two-thirds of the membership defines themselves as developing countries and thereby excludes themselves from certain of the obligations in WTO. And that that cannot continue. Some of the richest countries in the world define themselves as developing countries. And and that that has to change. We need to focus on on the least developed countries there
1: as well. But just to make a parenthesis here, you think there should be some kind of criteria. Well, uh, yes, but that is dif- we some have st- objective criteria,
2: you think? Well, the, this the is being discussed status? now, now. But, but yes, I think somehow we need to come to that um, discussion, but they cannot be imposed from, from the EU or from the US. It has to be a growing discussion with the developing countries themselves to see what can be the, the mechanisms to graduate. Yeah. Uh, so, so, and that, that has started. Our, our Norwegian friends have started a discussion on that. Uh, and I think it would take time, but at least it's, it's a conversation that, that that has started. So that is for the old issues. Then we need to reform the way we are a- every day working. And there we made some proposals on transparency, on, on notification, on, on the daily work of the committees, how that can be, be, um, um, how, how that can be, be reinforced and more efficient. And then there are only new issues. And there, on the one hand, we have made some progress by launching negotiations on e-commerce in January with um, almost 80 countries. Uh, digital trade, of course, is the future. But on the other hand, there are as you write in, in your paper that, that that we just advertised for and really recommend for those of you WTO nerds like us, um, you I mean the, the the gradual incapacity of WTO and the former GATT system to deal with For instance, a country with a state capitalism like China, with massive industrial subsidies, with forced technology transfer, where there aren't any rules, and where China can do that, and the rest of us can be very frustrated, but we don't really have the tools to address it multilaterally. And that is why the US are doing what they do. We share their concern about the problem, but we don't share their methods. So we are engaging with the the US and and Japan to try to see can we write new rules within the multilateral system. That's work uh, ongoing, and, and it's quite, uh, positive. Um, but but that, that needs to be addressed, uh, of course, because it's an, um, it, it doesn't create a level playing field. And then, finally, the most urgent thing is the appellate body, where the US has been blocking the appointment of the arbitrators, and if nothing happens, the 12th of December, the system will die. I think that is quite likely, unfortunately. We have been working to put proposals to listen to some of the American concerns. Of course, It's a system that works basically well, but it can always improve. We have made some proposals with other countries. Other countries have made proposals, but so far the US is not engaging in that. Are those
1: proposals, I I know the proposals, Mm -hmm. but are those proposals, I mean, just for the audience, are they about uh, the way the system works or are they also about the substance, right? Because we know from from the US Mm. it's not just about the way judges are being really appointed or reappointed, right? There is some complaint about some of the judgments.
2: Yes. Uh, First of all, there is the way that the judges are appointed, how long they stay, uh, how long the procedures take. And of course, it takes a lot of time. But it's increasingly complex, the the, the demands as well. Here, maybe we can do some improvements. But they also have some complaints about what they call overreach, that that the court is is sort of mm, going too far than the actual cases. But the fact is that, that uh, since the creation of this in '95, the U.S. has been winning 86% of all the cases. So, I mean, it's it's been rather favorable for them as well. But so far, it hasn't. Um, they have not really engaged in that discussion that is ongoing in, in Geneva. Uh, so if nothing happens, that system will collapse. Uh, and th- that would Their be... Their
1: complaint is usually about the anti-dumping, right? Yes, this is yes, where yes. they yes. have... Uh, they feel – I mean, what is the EU position on that, on the on the substance? Uh, is the EU uh, willing to talk about those matters or things that, no, but uh, our we only our talk about the formal our issues? Our
2: position has been that, that uh, in general we think the system works. So if, if it ain't broken, you don't need to fix it. You can marginally improve the procedures and, and you can discuss that, but we need an independent two-level system mm-hmm. and uh, and it has worked rather well. There are other proposals made by by, by countries like Australia and, and Japan who goes a little bit further than the EU position, but I mean we're willing to discuss everything, but let's first unblock the blocking and, and then make sure that the system works and then we can see what, what, what possible improvements need to, to, to do on that. But we no. haven't really, I mean they are criticizing the system, but, but they have not really, you know, come with proposals on how to make it better. So it's difficult to negotiate with yourself. So let's
1: say, as you said, on central scenario on December twelfth, the system is blocked. Right? What's next? I mean, uh, what are you telling your successor uh, about that? Uh, what should the EU do? Uh, should the EU Take the lead uh, of like-minded countries to say, well, you know, there are possibilities in the system to create, right? To to operate,
2: mm. uh,
1: is one willing to do that without the U.S. To say, well, the U.S. for the moment uh, stays on the side and we continue, what is what is the EU, or what should be in your view the, uh, the EU position on this?
2: Well, we have, as, as the EU, been trying to take the lead in, in proposing these reforms and engaging with with, uh, with the whole membership to, to reform. We we'll continue, it's, it's uh, discussions in WTO in Geneva, uh, led by, by uh, the, the New Zealand ambassador uh, called Ambassador Walker, so we call it the Walker process, and we will continue to, to engage in that uh, and until the 11th at midnight, of course. But we, of course, need to start thinking what if it really collapses because EU is one of the biggest clients of the system we have lots of interests and in our companies our country member countries are questioning what will happen how can we be protected so there's not an evident you know it's not a plan B that if that doesn't work we do this uh, you could of course create a total parallel system yeah. uh, there are provisions to do that with all the other countries but in order to do that you would need to make sure that you have enough countries who really want to engage and I think we it's a little bit premature to, to, to presume that for the moment. We have been discussing whether you could set up within the system some sort of bilateral conflict resolution between those who want to, uh, based on, on the, the, the current statutes of WTO and working with the Secretariat as an interim solution so that we have this with, with the partners we have FTAs with. Um, but but it's not we are thinking about exactly how to draft this. We've started that discussion within our member states of course but also with with other countries.
1: Okay, uh, I think maybe we can uh, open the discussion about the United States uh, since uh, the. US administration, the current administration actually following from already the previous administration, mm-hmm. the Obama yeah. administration started, the discussion about the appellate body. But certainly with the uh, Trump administration, uh, things have taken a, mm. a turn that was not expected, certainly, coming from the United States. You said you know, European countries and the United States were the founders mm. uh, of the system. So one did not expect the, the, the US to, to take the, the position that it has. Although one knew for a while mm. that the US was unhappy about the yes. number this of is, developments. It
2: didn't come with, with it, President it's, Trump. It's, no, it's
1: no. not new. No. Uh, I think what has been new is the manner, maybe, Mm -hmm. and and the force with which the US is trying to to push uh, a change, maybe, in in the system. Now, in your view, is this all about China? Uh, I mean, what was a bit puzzling uh, last year, two years ago, uh, when the the steel issue Mm -hmm. uh, came about, Uh, It was first about steel, national security. We are still waiting now for the automobile. Uh, Okay, we have a little bit, we have a few months, but uh, it's a very short respite. But then, very quickly after the the steel and aluminum came, the uh, China, Mm -hmm. which is the much bigger affair. Now, what is your assessment as to why did the United States? I mean, one could have understood, uh, perhaps. I mean, one logic. Uh, that the US uh, said, okay, uh, China has been a member of the WTO for a while. Uh, We had some expectation about the way China was going to evolve. Uh, There is friction. China has become the largest exporter. There's also obviously strategic rivalry between Mm -hmm. China and the US, the technology, all of those things, the 301 case, one can sort of understand where they are coming from. One doesn't have to share, Mm. but one can at least understand. But just before they did that, they launched the steel. Mm. Now, one can say, well, we know people in the U.S. administration, the steel background, U.S.D.R., USTR, all of those, uh, maybe, you know, election. But, you know, why divide countries? Why take on Europe and some of the U.S. allies at that time? So what is the assessment from, from the EU viewpoint? Uh, not just from the Commission, but, you know, what is the assessment as to what is the U.S. up to?
2: Well, I wish I, I fully understood that, actually, because, um, because as, as you say, the, the frustration that the U.S. feels vis-à-vis China and the, the massive overproduction of steel, aluminium, and a few other products in China due to, to state-owned companies to, to, to subsist these that are not allowed in Europe and, and many other countries is, of course, creating a, a, a global market that is unfair. Uh, and that affects us as well. We have lots of cases on steel going on against China and others in the WTO actually. Uh, so I understand that frustration. But the notion and, and I also understand the, the American politics of, uh, uh, of of you know wanting to, to make the US much more independent, breaking the, the international value chains and focus on America first. That that was his program, that, that is fair, that's what he won on. But in that in that politics, to say that the European allies and Almost all of our countries are NATO members. We built this world together, that we are a strategic, uh, that that we are a national security threat because of our steel export or car exports. That is totally unacceptable of course, because we are allies, we are friends, we could work together on China, and and in certain areas we do. Uh, So this of course has offended many member states, uh, as it has with Korea, Japan, and Mexico, and and Canada, and and, and others uh, as well. And and we we totally reject those those, uh, tariffs. We will not engaged in managed trade. And we have taken, as so has 11 other countries, that action on steel tariffs to the WTO, because we think that this is a safeguard in disguise, and that it is illegal, according to WTO. So the methods we don't agree with, but the frustration uh, we can understand. And I mean, the policy, of, of focusing on America that that is his electoral platform he won on that you could agree or disagree but that's that, that's uh, domestic politics uh, but but it's very unfortunate that friends and allies uh, like the strong transatlantic uh, partnership is, is being rejected like this
1: what was also surprising uh, was the instrument that was used by the US to to think yeah. that's right yeah. so because cold after steel, all uh, cold war uh, that's
2: right yeah. george
1: bush also had uh, george w bush also, it's still a uh, mm. tariff at midterm. Mm-hmm. I remember when, uh, when uh, President Trump introduced the, the tariff in the spring, mm. I thought, well, this is exactly like yeah. what Bush had done, right? Plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose. Exactly. But. <laughs> but, but it was about using a totally mm. different instrument. Mm. So, is there, I mean, uh, if you put this together with the, the appellate body, uh, I'm putting tough questions on you. Do uh, you think that uh, I mean one possible explanation, uh, a very unpleasant uh, explanation, is that is the U.S. wanting to undermine the system altogether? Uh, it's not just undermining this and that. Uh, you know, you put appellate body, you put using uh, national security, knowing that uh, it would put the WTO in a very very complicated situation. Allies, I mean, all of this together, is it? break from you know, the US policy since uh, World War II, uh, since Roosevelt since the creation of all this system is that really a break because the US would have made the assessment that after all the system uh, that it had to create and uh, that was useful in a sense also for for the US this, you know the US underwrote the system, but the US felt that that system is also beneficial to it. Well, maybe the system it feels now is is no more beneficial and we need to to save something totally, totally different. Is that the risk that, I mean, the start of our conversation is that the WTO is really at risk, not just because of the appellate body, but because uh, the US doesn't feel it's, it has value anymore.
2: Well, it's not, totally clear, but but it is is obvious that uh, the multilateral system, international order, and many other international organizations is not seen by this administration as something valuable. I mean, they have withdrawn from several international uh, treaties, they're criticizing others, uh, and and so on, that, that the multilateral system is sort of perceived as a, as a threat to American sovereignty. Um, I mean, they've always been skeptical to international courts and, and so on, but, but this, this is, is taking it one, one step further. Uh, if that is, is, is you know, the calculated strategy, th- then it's extremely worrying, but it's certainly going in that direction.
1: Now, uh, let's talk a little bit about China, and then we Another can- Another easy talk. question. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and then we can talk about some of the future issue. I, I'm trying to keep this part Half an hour, mm-hmm. and then we can uh, open up the uh, the discussion because I'm sure there'll be lots of uh, lots of questions. Now, uh, China has really been, um, I think, a remarkable <coughs> member in the sense that through its membership since 2001, it's clear that it has grown. Tremendously, indeed. And um, I think you know one should take credit for it, uh, and the system can take credit. China should take credit. The system
2: lifted millions take. of people out of poverty.
1: Absolutely, it's it's certainly a, a remarkable uh, you know from world event. Absolutely, this is really uh, something very very important. Uh, now, now that China is where it is, uh, I think probably one wants China to assume more responsibility. Yeah. Um, and that would be good. Uh, China assumes more responsibility. China, I think, values the the, the system. Made declaration. Um, you think there is? I mean, when you look at the U.S., China, and the EU, uh, we are by far the the three the three blocks. We are by far the biggest blocks. And then come others, and there are other important players. Obviously, there's Brazil, there are India, there's Japan, uh, Canada. I mean, there are many other players. But there are really three big ones, and then uh, others. Uh, Do you think it would be at all (coughs) possible to have uh, quietly, not necessarily uh, through Twitter and to uh, come to the view that, okay, we value the system, but okay, we are 21st century, the world has changed, It's not only a e-technology, there's, you know, other things, there's China that has become a member, there's many, many elements that have occurred since the rules, uh, the GATT, then the WTO, we need to upgrade, but, you know, if one were to be able to come with a package, you think that there is a possibility, there is a little window there. Uh, the EU, uh, which is not in direct confrontation, neither with the US, it's skirmishes, I would say. We are not in a trade war with the, with the US. We are not in a trade war with, uh, with China, right? So uh, it's not like the US and China that are really at, uh, at log ahead. So do you think there is some uh, possibility that the EU, together with other? countries that you mentioned, Japan, Canada, sort of like-minded countries that value uh, the system. Is there, is there room for, again, I'm trying to think also, not just the situation now, but looking, looking forward. But is there a path?
2: Well, I wish, because this would be the logical thing to do, of course, um, despite our differences and, and the fundamental disagreements on, on some of these issues, to sit together uh, informally and to see what, what we can do. Because um, as you said, China has, has benefited enormously from the multilateral system. And I do really believe that they want to preserve it and that they are willing to, 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 um, to work hard to preserve it, but also reform it. But we wish that they could take a more leading role and to, to show that they, you know, they, they, they listen to some of the concerns of, of the, 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 the others and to take their responsibility. But of course, you cannot ask China, even if you don't agree with the system in China, you cannot ask China to, over you know, a few months, because of the th- a tariff threat, reform their whole political system. It will not happen. Um, So you have to work in a different way And, and ideally we would sit together and define the problems and see what can be done. That is not happening today, and I don't see it on a short term, maybe, maybe a little bit longer. We have been making that offer to the USA that let's work together on China. There are several areas we, we could work, and then you know, we, we need to engage with them uh, uh, as well and to, to make them take, take some, some necessary steps. What we are doing, as I said, is in this um, ministerial cooperation with the U.S. and Japan where we have met, uh, and and the EU, where we have met now six times, where we're trying to draft new rules. At one point, when we see that they start to become more define and more, more, more clear to engage with China and others as well. See, is this something we can work on? We're not really there yet, because it's legally very complicated to make those, those things. But, but maybe by, by the end of the summer or autumn, we, we could start getting there. In the meantime, of course, we are working with many other countries. Uh, you mentioned I mean Japan, Mexico, uh, Brazil, Argentina, uh, Chile, uh, Australia, um, and, and Canada, and others, to, to see what, what uh, can be done. But that sort of trilateral sitting, uh, no. That used to be the, the case in, the his, in history, um, but so far there, there is not. And also, it's not really the EU's role to mediate between the EU and China. We are not a mediator. We have our relations with the US. We have relations with China. We have difficulties. We have corporations. Uh, we have criticism. We have forums where, where we cooperate. And, of course, we pass this message to China as well in summits and in, in different bilateral contacts. Um, and, and we try to... to to you know, pass some messages, but but we're not a cushion between right. between those those, uh, th- those countries. Uh, we need to stand up for the multilateral system at any force, Because if the EU don't do it, then we're really really um, badly off.
1: So while uh, standing up for the multilateral uh, system and you know,
2: uh, with your carrying uh, on, yeah. carrying the
1: torch, <laughs> and that's uh, that's important to to do that. At the same time, uh, you and the EU have been pursuing also a bilateral mm. agenda. Uh, we have bilateral discussions with China mm-hmm. on investment. Mm-hmm. Uh, now there is a new process with the, the, the US, we'll discuss that, and then there have been the different agreements that have been signed, uh, Japan, Canada, I mean it was mm-hmm. sometime a, a difficult process, but... Uh, uh, you brought it forward uh, with uh, with success. Uh, and
2: democracy didn't end.
1: That's it's right. Yeah, yes. That's right. So uh, I think certainly I think the view that some people had that uh, when we had the difficulty with, with Canada, uh, it was the end of the possibility. I remember headlines in newspapers, right, that it showed that it was, you know, the EU incapable of uh, of negotiating and bringing to, to a conclusion agreement. Mm-hmm. That
2: was yeah. and forest. now it has proven to be actually efficient. Trade has increased between us. Uh, lots of countries are, are really feeling that the concrete benefits of that, also for the small and medium-sized companies. Uh, we have opened up totally new possibilities to engage with a very like-minded country such as yep. uh, Canada. And we're already seeing... Positive trends. It's still very early days, but positive trends uh, with uh, with Japan on increased trade, especially in the agricultural sector and wine sector from from the European so Union. That so was certainly so trade works. That yeah. was a,
1: that was clearly mm-hmm. a success, and uh, with a like-minded country.
2: It's also like-minded. This is also what we've discovered with, the, with Japan. Japan is a, is a culture that is not as known to us like, like like Canada, for instance. But working with the Japanese, we have discovered that that you know on everything from from data protection to environmental research. We we are actually very
1: like-minded. Yeah, yeah. So what about the U.S. Uh, the US discussions, uh, the new discussions with, with the U.S.? What is, your, what is your assessment about where we are, where we are headed?
2: <coughs> Well, they, they are, you know—it's a variety of, of items we, we discussed with them. Many based on the on the statement made by, by uh, after the meeting almost a year ago now by President Juncker and President Trump in the White House, where we sort of tried to agree this on a positive agenda. Because that was a quite rough rhetorically, uh, moment. So we are working on this WTO reforms, as I said, very constructively. Uh, and then we have been, been, I, I received mandates from the Member States to start two negotiations, one on conformity assessment and one on a smaller agreement covering uh, industrial goods. Those discussions have not. Started yet on, on industrial goods. We are ready, but, but we haven't started the, them yet. We have, however, started the technical discussions on conformity assessment and on regulatory cooperation. Uh, where can we, with respect of our different systems, facilitate some of the approval, some of the certification, some of the, the facilitation to have where we have similar systems on our. Uh, Is that
1: respective? picking up from uh, TTIP?
2: Some of the things we could uh, use from TTIP, yes. Uh, But then, of course, things change so so rapidly. But there are some low hanging fruits that that I think we have made some, some progress. Um, and, and we are discussing, you know, medical devices and, and um, pharmaceutical, some cyber uh, issues, uh, and the conformity assessment, where we started to, to explore what, what can we do. So, so there, there is a discussion, both on political level. We met last time with Ambassador at the USTR, in Paris two weeks ago, and our collaborators meet regularly all the time. Uh, so, so there, there is a progress. It's technical, and there's not like tomorrow we will present one big package, but you know, it's it's it's, it's a process, which will. Um, if, if we succeed, could, could actually be, be beneficial for, for our companies on both sides of the Atlantic. And that would be a good thing, because we, mm-hmm. I mean, US and EU are, are we, we trade every, every second, we trade with each other, but it could still be easier and cheaper. And us not having a trade agreement with each other is, of course, stupid. For the moment, there is no prospect of having a big trade agreement, but this could be a smaller one to build confidence again, and then who knows for the future.
1: What about China? Um, the, the, the recent summit, uh, EU-China mm-hmm. summit, reaffirmed the objective to have a uh, investment uh, <coughs> agreement by 2020. Yes, that's uh, next year. <laughs> you think uh, we are making? I mean, it's, it's been also. A, it's a been long, a very long process. it been a long process. But, um, Are we making progress, you would say?
2: Well, it's been a long process where we've made initially some, some progress, and then it didn't move much. Now it has started to move a little. Um, but but still we, we hope that, that that China would be a bit more generous in their offers uh, and and we, but we have regular contacts we we our, our negotiators talk basically every month and so on so we hope that that uh, we will certainly do our part to to stand by that commitment to finalize next year and uh, I hope that the Chinese will uh, as well because that would be a platform where we could, Uh, it's not a trade agreement, it's an investment agreement to level the playing field a little bit, Uh, but we discuss all kinds of issues there, and that would certainly send an important signal to to the world and to each other that that we we are ready to engage here. It's it's an important partner, a complicated partner, of course. As you said, also a rival, a systemic rival, Uh, but but, uh, we we have uh, also many areas where we could cooperate and where where this would be, I mean, this is the EU method. You talk, you compromise, you try to find ways uh, forward
1: a last question from from me um, about the future agenda. Um, the EU has uh, proclaimed seriousness uh, about climate. Yes. Um, maybe more proclamation than actual uh, action. Uh, so but what still, to, yeah?
2: right? EU is still one of the leading globally. One of the leading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I That's mean, right. Wouldn't one be a Paris leading. agreement without EU.
1: Yes you you You're right about that, but uh clearly on the path that we are now uh we are not going to reach the objective so if uh, we were to reach the goals uh that we proclaim to believe in from uh, from Paris, mm-hmm. we would need to up yep. our game
2: right? absolutely
1: to up our game and uh, that may mean to have uh, you know carbon tax uh, no then would come a trade discussion. Um, clearly, there would be voices in the EU to say, well, if we are doing this very seriously, putting a carbon tax at a sufficiently high level mm-hmm. to, uh, to, to have a bite, uh, then there would be the issue about a carbon tax uh, adjustment. Um, what, is, what is your view about that? Uh, is that something uh, that should be pursued? Uh, that's something that from the trade side, people would say, no, 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 don't mess with that. What, what is your personal view on this?
2: Well, First of all, I agree with you that the next commission and the parliament and, and you know, and, and council and so on, this would be one of the biggest priority, climate change, in, in all areas, not only in, in trade. And we need absolutely to level up our ambitions, by far. Um, in, in trade issue, I think that the discussion needs to start in that order, not the other way around, as it is today. Because I personally think that a carbon tax is a good idea that is not the view of the commission. I mean, the commission has not a formula, but that is my, my view. And I think that we need to go that, that way. And it can perfectly be combined with growth as well. It has, in my country, worked for 30 years. And, and I think abs- and, and OECD and many research reports confirms that this is the most important thing you can do for, for climate. Uh, if you do that in Europe, then naturally there will be a discussion of what you do with the border. And if you but only then. You cannot first <laughs> to say what you do at the border if we haven't sorted our, our, our own house. And I think, but then, of course, you need to, to look at that uh, with the legal experts. If you do a, some sort of border adjustment tax that is non-discriminatory and transparent based on what we have, that is possible, according to WTO. But you need to look at at, at the details. And that is a discussion that would follow, which is natural. But you need to get it right. Um, and because we also need to make sure we have, for... for quite some time included ambitious uh, sustainable development chapters in our bilateral trade agreements um, and we we will continue to do so and and with as depending on the partners there will be more and more ambitious but we also need to look at what can we do on the multilateral level and this is sensitive. You know that in WTO, because you will immediately hear screams of protectionism and so on. So you need to get that right. But we need to start that conversation. What can we do? And this is what our citizens are expecting from us. And trade cannot solve all these problems, but it can play its part. Uh, and so there will, need, there will need to be a discussion. How can we green trade? Uh, or make it more greener. Unfortunately, we had very good discussions uh, a few years ago on, um, uh, on a, multi- a plurilateral initiative called um, Environmental Goods Agreement, yeah. where we were trying um, with, uh, to, to, to have um, to, to take away tariffs on environmental friendly goods techniques. So we had a list of hundreds of, of proposals. Uh, and China was in, and US was in, and we were in, and some of the biggest economies. Unfortunately, that is on ice right now. And we must see if there's any way we could start those discussions uh, again, because that would be a, a good thing. We have that in our bilaterals. We are trying to give priority to green technique. But we need to have that on the bilateral. This will be a huge challenge. But that comes in all the fields, I mean, in transport infrastructure, uh, research, uh, what, uh, foreign policy, Goods what have services. you. Goods and services. Goods and services as well, but but also in other fields that are outside uh, trade, But because, uh, I mean, we have citizens marching every Friday now uh, who, who ask us to take more action, and, and we must, and not only because the the, the, the the school children are demonstrating, which I think is very encouraging that they engage, but also because we have solid research showing that if we don't do it, we're... I was going to say a bad word, but I'm not. But when we have a problem, yeah. I don't know, no, mummies maybe watching. <laughs> Well,
0: um, I have to say on the last point, I very much uh, concur with what you said. And, uh, you know, I've just reviewed a bit the literature on on climate change. I mean, there's increasing evidence that uh, warming is happening faster than than predicted and than we thought a few years ago. And if we are not getting serious now, uh, uh, we will be too late for sure. We might already be too late at this stage. So I I have a lot of sympathy for you and also for the young people, actually, that, that are marching at this stage.
2: And the young people. Not that
0: old. <laughs> <laughs> You're not a high school student anymore, so, <laughs> so, so, so let me uh, let me uh, uh, let me go to uh, let me go back to uh, to the question on, um, and and I listened very carefully to the conversation. U.S., China, and, and quiz you a bit more on China, because um, mm-hmm. U.S. I mean the U.S. is going in into. Uh, Uh, an outright trade war, which is dramatic, uh, and which um, is actually uh, not just based on one person, the man in the White House, it's based on a pretty far-reaching consensus in U.S. society. It's a bipartisan consensus that uh, China's practices are unfair, and that China is uh, a geostrategic rival. Now, if I look at the European conversation on China, it's still different. And um, I I want to quiz you a little bit um, on where you see really uh, our assessment and our our view on China. I mean, there is the the, the side on unfair practices. You mentioned the steel. Sure, the steel is an issue. How big the issue is, one can debate in terms of the overall impact on the economy. Then there is state-owned enterprise, there's subsidization. There is the issue of lack of market access, Um, but you know, is it really a system rival? I mean, would you consider it a systemic geostrategic rival that would justify the kind of action that the U.S. is actually currently taking, which is a full right, a trade war. I mean, we are not doing that, and I think we are doing that, not that, for a variety of reasons. And I would like to hear hear from you a little bit. How, how I mean, how strongly do you think the Chinese economic prob- uh, model is really a problem for for the European economy?
2: Well, economic and political model, I would say. And I agree with you that the US strategy has a lot of support in the US, in Congress, for instance, and so on, even though we hear every day, and some contact us directly, complaints from American companies who are now affected by the tariffs, because the method is wrong. Their analysis could be right, but the method is wrong, because it affects ordinary people. If nothing happens in a year, we'll have a huge deficit of medicines. I mean, it will really affect ordinary people in their their daily life. And many companies are now finding it hard and very expensive to get get what they need uh, in in their their production. Um, So... In the European Union, well, you know, we don't use methods like that. We try to flatter ourselves, saying that we our, our, our method need to be within the multilateral system because if it fails and we are undermining it, I mean, it becomes our, it becomes our biggest. We become our own enemy. Um, but but we have sharpened our instruments as well. We have uh, been both in bilaterally official and, and unofficial talks. We have been quite uh, clear on 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 what we think. We have uh, sharpened our Trade defense instruments not only on steel but on a lot of others, not only because of China, but there are other uh, there as well. But our, our trade defense instruments on anti-dumping tools are now in a better shape than they were before. They're quicker, they're more efficient, they're more transparent. Um, we publish report, we publish a report on China, also including a chapter on sustainable development and, and labor. Mm-hmm rights. For instance, we have this uh, investment screening mechanism now in place, which is also not a China mechanism. There are other countries who could be affected as well. And it starts working. Member states have had their coordination meetings and so on. And we are working on this um, international procurement instrument. It's been on the agenda for quite some time, but now discussions have resumed again after the the European Council conclusions in March. So, you know, we, we, we have... We have those tools uh, as well. At the same time, if we want to address climate change, we need to work with China. Of course. There, and there, I think, we have joint interests. Uh, and there, there are other areas where, where we can work uh, together. So, so it's, um, it is a rival, it, it, but it also, can also be a partner. Um, and, and the methods are, are different. But as I said, many, many of the analysis of the US we, we, we share. But we don't think these methods, first of all, they're not legal. And, and secondly, they're not efficient.
0: Right. Um, we are also in dialogue with China and have recently had um, China coming here and uh, uh, issuing a joint statement with the European Union, where we agreed together to work on a, some on some issues such as WTO reform, but also um, opening of China. Um, uh, uh, more reciprocity, which is not the term, is not strictly in the, ter- in, the, no. in, the, in the paper, but President Tusk uh, and President Juncker both mentioned it very strongly in the press conference afterwards, so let's see how strong the commitment there is. But um, at least there is a discussion on, on WTO reform, and there seems to be some support from China mm-hmm. to, uh, to go in that direction. Mm-hmm. How far will we get um, with China on WTO reform?
2: But it's impossible to, to say. But as I said, said to Andrea, we, we have—I uh, fundamentally believe that, that China has, uh, has benefited from the WTO membership, and that if WTO sort of collapses, they would lose a lot. And they—they they understand this. And they, we have this working group. We met two or three times on reform on WTO, starting to map what could possibly be done. It will not be easy. Uh, but, but, and we are calling uh, upon China to take a great uh, leadership there when it comes to doing their part, but also we're willing to listen to, to some of, of their concerns. Uh, I mean, the Chinese economy is also, you know, it's, it's, growing, uh, it's not growing as fast as, as, as it should, uh, and that they have some, some problems there as well. So, so also for domestic reasons, they, they need to, to engage and to do some, some reforms, and maybe this can be a p- part of it. But it will, not, it will take time. Uh, and i don 't foresee any date soon where we can declare a big uh, big agreement on this, but we keep on discussing uh, and others do as well so um, and that's the only i mean i don 't see any other way to, to to do than talk, come with proposal, engage, sit down, push, um, and also have a few few tougher tools at our disposal uh, to say that that we welcome Chinese investment. Well, absolutely, we, we don't want to close Europe for Chinese investment, but there could be some screening if they are uh, targeting some critical infrastructure, and they will because that is explicit in their the China 2020 strategy that, that, that they, they are focusing on that, and that could then be subject to screening, and then member states could take action to stop it.
0: Well, I do want to bring in the in the audience uh, also also with with some questions and remarks. So, so please do uh, do raise your hands and um, and I'll I'll try to to pick uh, pick a few. So, uh, the gentleman all the way in the back, I think, was the first uh, I saw. <laughs> well, I mean, I have to be selective. Uh, please and if, please identify yourself. Please no, just, speak. just speak. Okay. Yes.
3: Good morning. Uh, Dimitri Anical, uh, Policy Advisor on Access to Medicine from Metal Sans frontier Thank you for organizing this panel and thank you, Madam Malmström, for sharing your views. Um, last week, it was reported in the South American press that the EU Mercosur trade agreement is near conclusion and that it includes a provision that will limit compulsory licensing in the first five years after market approval of a medicine. Now, at the same time, we see that in the UK, UK Health Secretary is looking at the option of Compulsory licensing to get access to Orgambi uh, for rare diseases, and also the Dutch government is looking at exploring the options of compulsory licensing, and compulsory licensing, I'll say, are in the patent system to ensure access to domestic... But please come to the question. Okay. So my question is, isn't this reality that wants to be including uh, limitations on compulsory licensing or search uh, flexibilities in the IP chapter? But at the same time, the access to medicines challenges are also a problem in Europe, and, and, and European governments are looking at this option.
0: Okay, okay thank you. We, we collect a oh, few, okay. if, you, uh, if you don't mind. Um, so the young lady here.
1: Hi, Stacey Featherstone here on behalf of the European Sugar Refineries Association. I also um, My question also ties into Mercosur. Um, I just um, wondered when you thought agricultural market access offers might be exchanged. As you know, um, for sugar refineries, it, refiners, it's a bit of an existential question to have a duty-free TRQ on sugar. I just wondered what the timeline was on that.
0: Thank, thank you very much. And then there's a question here by the gentleman here. Please use the mic because we need uh, your live stream.
3: With Politica. I'm afraid
1: my question is also on uh, Mercosur. Um, let me phrase it <laughs> a bit differently. <laughs> uh, after basically spending uh, a year or so saying that the South Americans need to deliver more, and the ball is in their court on, on uh, various issues like auto tariffs, etc., now the ball has, seems <clears> to have come very quickly back in our court with Brazil making lots of concessions. And while I understand you have become careful in uh, making projections when Mercosur can be finished, no, but um, question, do you think we are ready now to... Uh, make also concessions on our part and deliver this agreement knowing that the window of, of potential conclusion is about to close. Thank you.
0: Okay, so thank you. We have uh, perhaps this is one qu- one this block of questions block on Mercosur. Mercosur. Yes. Uh, do you want to quickly take okay, Yeah, you take can take them. Then, uh, okay, then yeah. no question on Mercosur
2: after that. <laughs> <laughs> so. No, I, I think I'll say what I can say on this. Um, on the question of, of medicine and iPad, this is one of the issues that that we're not finalised yet. So so uh, we are still negotiating. On uh, um, Mercosur is is a long saga, of course, and I will definitely not say that on on that date uh, we will be done. But we are. We are getting closer. We've seen a lot of engagement during the, the, the spring. Uh, we have exchanged some some uh, offers, of course, in agriculture already. The, the more non-controversial. So agriculture is an important part of every trade agreement, and especially in, in this one. Uh, so, so there has been exchanges. The very final exchanges and the quotas where there will be no, no liberalization but, but TRQs. You mentioned one one area, there are others that are sensitive. Of course, the final decisions there will be made at the very last moment before we say, okay. So the timeline is the very last day, probably, uh, as always. In a trade agreement, you give and take. So is Europe ready to make concessions? Of course, otherwise you cannot, I mean, that's the point of negotiating. We will make concessions and we expect them to make uh, concessions. That's the point. Uh, So yes, we will. Uh, We are engaging with them. We had uh, our our people talk to each other just uh, in in May. We made lots of progress there as well. There are some complicated matters um, remaining, IPR, uh, agriculture and a few others. Uh, We keep on on talking. I think there is a window now to, to close this, during this commission. I will absolutely do my utmost, to do it. This is priority number one right now to close this. Uh, I think we are starting to get ready. This is an agreement between the EU and four countries, 230 million people. Only in tariffs it would be worth more than Japan. Four times more than Japan and Canada together, only tariffs. And then we have public procurement, you have services, you you have uh, all all the others. And showing to the world right now about what we talked about, that that EU and that part of Latin America with whom we have long historical uh, ties are ready to do a trade agreement would be an extremely powerful signal, of course. And also, if the WTO were collapsing, I mean, there is a value in itself for all of us to have rules. Within where you can you can operate. So for both economic reasons, um, strategic reasons, cultural reasons, um, and political reasons, there is everything speaks in favour of this. I'm not saying this is going to be easy, because in the end there is always very difficult choices uh, to 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 make and difficult final um, estimations. And yes, the sugar sector and a few others keep calling me. Maybe not on an hourly basis, but daily, <laughs> so I am very aware, as is my friend and colleague Phil Hogan, on the the red lines perceived from Europe so we, we, we have them um, close uh, you, you can trust on that uh, but, but I, I think this is absolutely worth doing. It would be, be a fantastic opportunity and, and a huge um, miss if we we, we close the window now, will we do it? I hope so. But I'm not sure yet, because we're not done done yet. But but, uh, I I will definitely dedicate as much as my awake time as I can when I'm not dealing with the rest of the little details we (laughs) talked about.
0: Great, uh, thank you. So, so indeed, uh, bilateral trade agreements also as an insurance policy against the breakup of the WTO. Indeed. I think it's yes, a very, yes, very important yes, point. Yes. And uh, you've been tremendously successful in your term with uh, the EU-Japan agreement, which is, of course, yeah. a major insurance because we cover a third of the global GDP. Um, so, uh, but let me take a few more questions. Mm-hmm. From Maria de Merces, Bruegel's deputy director, then Fraser Cameron, um, and uh, the, uh, the gentleman here was.
2: Thank you. If I may uh, pick up on the question that uh, is, is it on? Yes, no, it's not really
0: on. But uh, please, <laughs> please just speak in the mic. Yes.
2: Yeah. On the question that Guntram finished with on the WTO and and I want to ask a question: Which WTO and which multilateral system? Uh, should be preserved and could it be that what the U.S. is doing, part of the action that the U.S. is currently doing that, as you said, we don't really understand, is really a realization that the world is changing with a very big new player coming in that is not going to settle for being just a rule. But is want to be a rule maker at some point, and therefore the current multilateral system isn't going to look like the same in so for 10 years from now. So therefore what they're doing right now is just carving space. And something that the US has understood, but actually the EU has not understood, is exactly this point, and therefore the multilateral system we're trying to preserve is not the current one, but some future one, and what is that going to be? Okay. How many hours do we have for that? <laughs>
0: But it's a good one, so let's take,
2: let's take a few. Uh um, Fraser Cameron from the EU Asia Centre. Um, it's no secret that there are very different <coughs> views amongst member states on trade. So it would be interesting to get your assessment as to how the evolution of these views you have observed over the last few years and any predictions you might make for the future, given Brexit, and what the balance of forces regarding free trade might be in the future EU.
0: Thank you, and then here, the gentleman here. Hello, I'm Moritz Brugging from the Critical Raw Material Alliance and I would like to go back to China. China is a, a, is a dominant producer of many raw materials that we need in Europe and also in the U.S. to um, produce and to uh, furnish our industries. It has already kind of threatened the U.S. to bring that into the quotation of, uh, of its disputes. What do you think Europe should be doing in the next five years to secure supply of raw materials and physical raw materials in particular? Okay. Thank you. So so raw materials um, in China, um, uh, Brexit and member states, um, or EU after Brexit, yeah. are we still pro-trade? And, the future of the multilateral of a new multilateral trading system
2: no, but th- that, that is of course a very interesting question uh yes. and, and it would need a, a lot of time to, to discuss yeah. i'm happy to continue this discussion uh, at some other time with you because if you're right that they have understood actually and we got it wrong then we need another strategy yeah. um but but um and of course the wto system is not perfect of course not i mean it was created at a totally different time, and things have evolved, and we are 164 members, and others knocking on the door as well. The question is, and I mentioned several areas where we need to reform, the question is, if you tear it down, can you build up something credible again, or will we have a big vacuum of, of nothing until something else maybe comes out? I'm not sure. So, so until um, I have proof of the, the opposite, I think reforming from inside is still the safest uh, strategy. And I'm willing to, you know, within that, uh, find new pragmatic ways. But reforming from within seems to be the, the, the safest if we still want a multilateral system that has served us well and still serves us well. Uh, and, and the, if, if it collapses totally, we will lose, the whole world will lose, and, and the, the most poorest countries will lose a lot because it will be the total rule of the jungle with the strongest sure. uh, prevailing. And, and that, that's not a world we, we want to see. But, but um,
0: so, so on this point, can you push a little bit more? So the US is not there <laughs> uh, at the table anymore at the appellate body. Do we construct um, an appellate body uh, 2.0 without the US and we agree among all the others? <laughs>
2: that could potentially be, be a way but then you need to make sure that you have all the others on board uh, to do that and I think many countries at this stage feel that that is too confrontational to do that and to to you know try to to still push the system at, if at the very end to see if we can do it and then maybe pursue this more bilateral sort of um, interim solutions until we find something. But there is provision in the, the DSU of of, uh, of uh, WTO, and, and Andre can confirm that. You could create a parallel system without the US. That, that could happen. But I think that, that decision is far too early to take. A
0: bilateral system, for sure, would exclude, uh, would not include all the small countries, um, the developing countries that you uh, that you mentioned.
2: No, that is true. But they are not clients of the system, but they sort of benefit of 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 the outcomes. Exactly. And if you use the WTO Secretariat, if you use a pool of sort of retired arbitrators, you would make sure that there is continuity and that WTO spirit lives on. So we'd not take just anybody to, to mediate, because that would be a totally different system. But but it's a good question. Uh, I have to think about that. Uh, In the member states, well, obviously our British friends are are true believers of of free trade uh, and have been very supportive on this. And when I started as trade commissioner, there was a difficult moment, especially because of TTIP, but also CETA, demonstrations, and so on. And we had some tough discussions in the in the council. But I would say that lately, the last three years or so, there's been very strong unanimity. Not on all the details, absolutely not. But on our trade agenda in general, on uh, the, the, the these policies that we're pursuing in WTO, we are totally united. Uh, on on our bilateral, uh, on the, the more trade defense instruments, there's been very strong. Uh, support for, for that that can vary and let's see how the new parliament looks and and when they start there but but for the moment we've had uh, I, I feel a very strong support from from, from member states and um,
0: and raw material and
2: raw material. Yes, China. that that is also a, a a very complicated issue because of course they have, and that shows the the absurdity of trade wars because you start there and then it escalates and then you, you go to to to, to levels where, where really really critical raw materials, medicines, and others become a, a deficit for, for for large part of, of ordinary citizens, and that's why they are, they are so bad. They are not good. They are not easy to win. Um, what what should the EU do if that happens? Well. First of all, we hope that we will not be be, be part of that. But it's definitely something we have started to discuss. We don't have a strategy for that yet. But because it's only a a threat, but uh, this is uh, something where we need to make sure that that we can still uh, have access uh, to to this and that we are not affected. And we hope that that the trade war will not escalate to this level because it would be bad for everybody. Mm -hmm. But it's an important point.
1: Let, let me ask you, if I may, a, a follow-up question to Fraser's question. <laughs> I mean, he asked about, uh, you asked about countries, uh, but in, in your answer, I think uh, you spoke not only about countries, you spoke also about the European Parliament. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, think, I think that's a very important dimension since uh, now Parliament has, uh, has an important role uh, since the, the Lisbon Treaty. In in trade policy, and after all, Japan, Mm -hmm. uh, the Japan agreement was uh, was ratified by uh, by Parliament, right? Mm -hmm. So EU only in Singapore and Mm -hmm. part of Singapore as well. So they are EU only uh, agreements. Mm -hmm. Now, um, I mean, can you share with us uh, your experience uh, in working with Parliament that has been assuming you know in the past? Uh, I remember when we were comparing the EU and the US. Uh, in the US, Congress usually played a very important role in trade policy, right? And uh, it was, you know, in our case, obviously we have. In a sense, the Senate, the the, the the member states, but Parliament was not a, was not a player. Now Parliament has become a real player. And can you share a little bit with us? I mean, you have been involved. I mean, to get those agreements through, obviously you had to work also closely with Parliament. So, can you share a bit with us what is your experience and what is it you would tell also your your successor, given mm-hmm. the, the composition of the new Parliament?
2: Well, the juiciest details uh, of my relations with different MEPs—you'll read about in my memoirs—but uh, <laughs> I, I can tell you that, that is, I think it's been a learning, curve, a learning curve for all of us. Because now the Inta Committee, the Trade Committee in the Parliament, is top two or top three when they choose uh, chairmanship, because they realise this is one of the heaviest ones, and they have learned also to grow into that role—to not only, uh, you know, be, be, be critical or to have different views, which of course is part of it, but also take a responsibility right. because they. They have that power right now. Um, So so I hope that the new parliament and the new AINTA committee also will take that to be critical but constructive and to engage a lot with the commission. I have tried to be present very, very regularly in intercommittee as a whole, in the different reference groups and with different individuals uh, a lot. And that is an advice I would like to give to my successor. Never underestimate the European Parliament. It's a good advice in general. Um, And also continue. I think they have appreciated our uh, transparency agenda that I've been really pushing for for five years almost, that they have access, that they can can follow, uh, that they can be involved in a very transparent and inclusive way in the, the... in the negotiation process Um, and then of course they they will have to to take a decision they will have to weigh is it better to to engage and and to push or to reject uh, which can be a powerful political signal but that closes the door for, for engagement with that country um, and I don't know how, how it will be so it's too early to say but but they they they, they need to take that that uh, responsive role and to engage with the, the our different partners uh, and also with us and we will certainly continue as soon as they are, are constituted I'll, I'll, I'll reach out to them of course um, but they have been, been helpful because they have been pushing for these reforms that that we have tried to do on transparency, on inclusiveness, on more value-based agenda, on a more efficient um, enforcement and, and implementation, which has been very helpful vis-a-vis member states and mm. vis-a-vis others as well. So, so, so I on think the they, whole, they've been the more whole, of an ally. On the whole, they've sense. been a bit difficult, but that's their role. Uh, but they've been important <laughs> allies as well, yes. And I think they have really grown into that, uh, there are some really, really Knowledgeable people in that uh, committee who have played an important role. Sure.
0: Well, I'm, a, I'm afraid that's all the time we, we have for today. Uh, thank you so much, uh, uh, commissioner, commissioner. It was wonderful to hear from you at the end of, of this commission and um, uh, to have your insights also on the way forward. Thank you very much. Please join me in thanking uh, the thank commission.